we're opening the Word of God in Isaiah 45, please. Isaiah 45. So let's hear the Word of the Lord. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image. And pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye, and bring them near, yea. Let them take counsel together, who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Amen. Let's look to the Lord now in prayer, and let's pray that the Lord will draw ever nearer and really speak to those who are amongst us who are not saved. Let's, let's pray. Our eternal God and gracious and loving Father, we thank the Lord for the reading of Scripture, this portion that we have read, and we thank the Lord that Thou has commanded the people to assemble, to come together to hear what You would have to say. And so, Lord, we have gathered round the Word. We thank the Lord we believe in a place that preaches the Word of God. It is the central, it is the central act of worship. It is the means by which Thou hast ordained to speak to the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, young people. Lord, to bring challenge and conviction to their heart. And we pray for the operation of the Spirit upon both the preacher and the hearer alike. And I pray, O God, that Thou wilt cleanse me in the precious blood I pray that Thou would fill me with the promised Holy Ghost. I pray that Thou would look upon this meeting house, and that Thou Thyself will set it apart for the glory and the honor of Thy name. We read in the Old Testament of many things being set apart for the service of the Lord. Money, buildings, items, individuals. And we pray, O blessed Father, that Thou, God, would set apart this gallery, set apart this preacher for the glory and the honor of thy great name. Lord, we pray that no hindrances will be there for the word, but there will be a free course, that thou would exalt every valley, that thou would make low every mountain, that thou would make the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth. I pray that I would not stand in the way of the word. I pray with all my inability that thou would make me able to preach the word that thou hast given. I have a message from the Lord. Hallelujah, a message unto you I will give. And Lord, I pray that thou will help me to declare the message of Jesus and him crucified. So Lord, hear prayer and be glorified in all that is said and done. For this I ask in the Savior's precious and his holy name. Amen. This week I came across a story of the conversion of a young lady called Amelia Hull. She was a young girl of 20 years of age, the daughter of a retired army officer who lived in a village of Devonshire. One day, 
in the year 1840, a large tent was erected in her little village by a well-known evangelist. Having never gone to such a meeting before, her curiosity was stirred, and she slipped into the mess or the meeting that night, and she heard a marvelous message of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Returning home, she told her father where she had been, and he was furious. He told her that people in her position in life did not frequent such meetings that were conducted by fanatical preachers, and he forbade her to go again. But the Lord was working in her heart, and the next day she had a longing, a deep longing to go again and hear of the one who hung upon the tree in the place of guilty sinners. Against her father's orders, she decided that she would go to the meeting that night. And the text for the evening was John 3, 14 and 15. Words of the Savior to a man called Nicodemus. And there the Lord Jesus, he used an illustrative type of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness to speak of his own death. And it was by a look that the dying Israelite lived. Now in that meeting, Amelia, she was brought face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, and she looked away to him for salvation. She was rejoicing. But when she arrived home, her father met her. And he met her with fierce anger. And he ordered her into the library and he severely scolded her for what she had done. He ordered her to meet him again in the morning at 9 a.m. in the library so that he might horsewhip her. So fierce was his opposition to the gospel. Amelia, she went to her room in tears. And she thought about the threat that loomed over her in the morning. But as she did so, she thought about her Savior, the one who was whipped for her, the one who hung and bled and died upon the tree. And as she thought about him, words entered into her mind, and she wrote them down on a little piece of paper. In the morning, she came down into the library, trembling, with a piece of paper in her hand. And there she was greeted with her father, with his writing whip lying on the table beside him. She handed him that little bit of paper. And he started to read. And he could not stop. And to Amelia's astonishment, he slumped down into his chair, a broken man, hair in his hands, humbled and weeping because of what he had read. He too looked away to Jesus Christ for salvation. A few days later, Amelia's brother came home from the army. And he noticed a great change in that home. And he too looked to Christ for salvation. The great impact of the words that she wrote upon that sheet of paper. Those words are now one of the best known gospel hymns that we often sing. And here's the first verse. There's life for a look at the crucified one. There's life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, look unto him and be saved unto him that was nailed to the tree. Now that hymn in our hymn book has for its Bible reference Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now Isaiah is the most 
evangelical of the prophets. And this chapter contains prophecies concerning Cyrus, the man whom God would raise up to be an instrument in the deliverance of the Jews from captivity. God would do this for the sake of his covenant that he had made with his people. And by this, he would, know, he would be known to be God, the only true God, the maker of all things. Having given incontestable proof of his universal authority in this chapter, the Lord then exposes the vanity of idol worship. And yet, mercifully, at the same time, we read in verse 22 that he directs all the nations of the world to look to him for salvation. And this is a verse that I want us to consider this evening. Under the heading of Amelia Hull's great hymn, there's life for a look. Three simple things that I want to bring you before you from this text. Firstly, the salvation mentioned in this verse. The Lord says here, be ye saved. Now, saved is a good Bible word. It's a word that we don't often hear from many a pulpit in our land, but it's a word that appears 104 times in the Bible, and its associated word, salvation, appears 164 times. So it's a major theme of Holy Scripture to be saved. It is a word here that expresses the need for rescue, for deliverance, for safety and preservation. And all those thoughts are encompassed in the Hebrew word that is used in this verse. The greatest need of man is the salvation of his soul. No matter what else you think you might need, sinner, this one thing is certain you need. You need to be saved. And this implies that you are in some sort of danger. Now, national Israel, many times, she needed to be saved from her enemies. She was in some sort of physical danger. Maybe an army had come and encamped against her, and he needed rescuing in that respect. He needed to be saved in that respect. But that is not the context here. The Lord, this message from the Lord, it's not directed solely to Israel. So the salvation that is spoken of here does not refer to a deliverance of the physical kind. This is a deliverance of a different kind. It is a spiritual de deliverance. We can also think about Paul and Silas there in prison in Philippi. And there was a great earthquake. And it was after that earthquake, it was then that the jailer sprang into the cell, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He didn't need a physical deliverance. The earthquake was done and passed, but it was a spiritual deliverance that that man wanted and that he needed. He needed rescuing from the consequences of his sin. Now, the reality is, the truth that is presented in the Word of God is that every individual into this world is born with a sinful nature. That's what the Bible declares. It doesn't matter in what culture. It doesn't matter in what country. It doesn't matter in what community. We're all born with a sinful heart. We have all been shaped in iniquity, and in sin did our mother conceive us. We're born with a sinful heart. The sinful heart, or the heart, is it's the center of the individual. 
And for from the heart flows the choices and the words and the actions. And if the fountain is polluted, then all that proceeds from it is polluted too. A sinful heart. Look at that little word, sinful. One of the advantages of the authorized version, you can look at it, you can break it down. Sinful, what does it mean? It means full of sin. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 3, we read these words, The heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. It's full of evil, and it's not long until a sinful heart or a sinful nature is manifested in the life expressed by acts of rebellion and transgression of the law of God. Even from their earliest days, a little child, they manifest their sinful heart that they possess by the things that they do, things that naturally come to them, their tempers, their snatching, their ungratefulness. Their fightings, their lyings, their deceit, all these things proceeding from the sinful heart, a heart that is full of sin. Now, since we are all born in this condition and have sinned against God, the great lawgiver, then there are certain things that we need to be saved from, that you and I need to be delivered from. Two things. We need, you need, sinner, to be saved from sin's corruption. You see, sin is a destroyer of the nobility and the dignity with which man was created. Man was created with uprightness of character, motive and desire. He was made in the image and after the likeness of God, a holy being. But sin has marred all that. And that's the reason why sinners, they lie, they steal, they fight, they murder, they commit adultery, they engage in gluttony, drunkenness, perverseness. They become selfish, proud, vain, unthankful, disloyal, devoid of self-control. This is the corruption that you need safe from. Now, this is not a message that the world likes to hear, nor the world likes to give. They speak about that little good that is in every one of us, and that we shouldn't speak about total depravity, the corruption of sin that rages within the heart of man. They say, well, that's not good for man. That destroys someone's self-esteem. But the Bible, it is a mirror, it is a looking glass by which you and I can see ourselves as we really are in the sight of God. And you are corrupt sinner. Your heart is full of evil deeds. It's full of wickedness. It's devoid of righteousness and holiness. That's the teaching of the Word of God. And of such, as such, every part of your being is infected and impacted and corrupted by sin. The Scripture tells me that your will has been corrupted. And this is seen by your enmity and hatred of God. There's a hardness, there's an aversion, there's an obstinacy against the things of God. You will not come to Christ that you might have life, just as Jesus charged those in His day. Your will, you are unwilling to come to Christ. There's a corruption there upon your will. There's also a corruption upon your understanding. 
It's become blinded and insensible to the things that God has clearly revealed. And I spoke a little bit about that last Sunday evening and the witness that God has given to man, creation, the conscience, the canon in Christ. And yet those things that are clearly revealed and should be known because man's understanding has been corrupted, he cannot see. The sinner is unknowing, is ignorant of God, of himself, of life, of death. The will is corrupted. The understanding is corrupted. The affections have been corrupted because man was made to supremely love one being, God Himself. And yet we read now that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You need to be saved from sin's corruption. I wonder, sinner in the meeting tonight, do you not long to be a new creature in Christ? Do you not long to be cleansed from your pollution and the corruption of sin that pervades every faculty that you possess as a man or a woman? To be rescued from that, you need to be saved from sin's corruption. You also need to be saved from sin's condemnation. You see, by the transgression of God's law, sinners, they're under the just sentence of God's wrath. And that's eternal death. That's something else you need to be rescued, you need to be delivered, you need to be saved from. A separation from all that is good and holy. While at the same time the administration of punitive justice, suffering torment in body and soul for all eternity, that's the condemnation, that's the sentence that you need to be saved from. You see, that's what sin deserves. You make no mistake about it. Sin does not deserve a little rap on the wrist, a little difficulty in life. Your sin, my sin, it deserves the eternal wrath of a sin-hating God. And that's something that you need to be saved from. And God is telling us here in this verse, He's telling us that there is salvation from sin's corruption and sin's condemnation. And if you look back to verse 17, we read there that it's an everlasting salvation. This is what God in the gospel offers to sinners tonight. An everlasting salvation. A work that goes not only through time and in time, but goes right into God's eternity. What good news to bring to you tonight. A gospel that not only changes your destiny, but a gospel that changes your very nature. What a wonderful thing. There is the salvation mentioned in this verse. But secondly, we notice the sight mentioned in this verse. And this really brings us to the heart of the gospel and and how we can be saved. How you, sinner, can be saved from sin's corruption and sin's condemnation. Now, you and I have been created by God with five senses. Touch, smell, taste, hearing, and sight. And what blessings they are to possess them And we enjoy many things because of our sense perception. In the Scripture, sometimes the senses, they're used in relation to salvation and the sinner's experience of that. 
read many times in the New Testament and in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus touching an individual, for example, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He took her by the hand. Or we could think of those who touched Jesus Christ, the woman who had the issue of the blood for 12 years, but when he touched them or they touched him, they were made whole. Healing virtue went forth from him by a touch. What do we read in Psalm 34 and verse 8? We read there, O taste and see, that the Lord is good, blessed is the man that trusted in him. And that's obviously figurative language, just as it is in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, in the verse 3, I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. You see, when sin becomes bitter, Christ becomes sweet. What do we read in Romans chapter 10? And the verse 17, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In the book of the Revelation, we read many times, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. Lord Jesus, the Messiah, was prophesied that He would come. And that when He would come, He would open the ears of the deaf. He would cause them to hear. And not only did He do that in a physical, literal sense, but also in a spiritual sense. And it's by the hearing of the Word of God that the effectual call is heard and sinners are brought to faith in Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Christ is described as a sweet-smelling savor unto God. Its aroma is pleasing. It's fragrant to God for it is a sinless sacrifice of His sinless Son. His work is pleasing to us. It's fragrant to us. And so we see that salvation and the sinner's experience of it is communicated to us and, uh, through these senses, touch and taste and hearing and, and smelling, but also sight. Sight is used in Scripture many times with respect to salvation and the obtaining of it. And there's no better example in the Word of God than the text that we have before us this evening, look unto me and be ye saved. And the implication is quite clear, sinner. If you look to the one who is speaking in this verse, then you shall be saved. This is a look of faith that saves the soul from sin's corruption and sin's condemnation. Well, who is speaking in this verse? Who's the one that says, look unto me? Well, it is the Lord, and that's so apparent from the context. If you look back in verse 19, the speaker, he readily identifies himself. This is what he says, I have spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Now, you well know if you're a frequent attender here. In the authorized version, capital L-O-R-D, it signifies the personal name of God, the covenant name of God, Jehovah. The one who does not change the one who is self-existent and eternally independent, the God who does not and the God who cannot lie. 
He's the one to whom sinners are to look if they are to be saved. It's to a person that the sinner must look. It's not to a church. It's not to a ceremony. It's not to a creed, but it's to the Lord. He alone has the right. He alone has the ability to save. He says, I am God and there is none else. And as there is no other God, there is no other one who can save you. For salvation by its nature, it's a divine work. And the Lord has made Himself known in the Scripture and especially in these last days in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now as no passage in Scripture stands alone, when we compare Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 with this verse, we find that salvation is found alone in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And in the context, none other name is speaking of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And those two verses together, Isaiah 45, 22, Acts 4, verse 12, well, it tells us and teaches us that the Christ of the New Testament is the Lord of the Old Testament. As Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. And that demolishes the false notions and the false teachings of the cults. If you are to be saved tonight, sinner, it is to Christ you must look. Now, what do I mean by that? That's all very... Well, evangelical language, these are terms you hear. What does it mean to look to Christ? Well, it means you look so as to receive from Him what you need for the salvation of your soul. You know when a little child comes to your feet? Maybe you're a grandparent or a parent. And that little child comes and looks up at you expectantly for you to give them something, for you to do something for them. Or we read in Psalm 123 of servants looking to the hand of their master that they might give unto them that which they need to live. Well, that's what we are to do. We're to look as sinners to Jesus Christ expectantly and solely that we might receive from Him what we need to be saved to live eternally. And what is that sinner? What do you need to receive from Jesus Christ in order to be saved? Well, it's a justifying righteousness. That's what you need. A justifying righteousness that delivers you from eternal condemnation and cleansing through His blood that delivers you from sin's corruption. And only Jesus Christ can do that for you. He can deal with your condemnation by imputing His righteousness to you. And He can deal with your corruption by cleansing your heart in the precious blood. There is no other Savior. You want to be saved. You need to be saved. You need to look to Jesus Christ. Look to Him expectantly and solely to receive from Him what you need to be saved. He came to see it. I was preaching Friday at the open air from John 3, 17. For God sent not His Son into the world 
to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to seek and to save sinners, and he did that by accomplishing the great work of redemption. He came to do what you and I could never do, to perfectly keep God's law. And while you and I had corruption coursing through every part of our body, the impeccable Son of God, Jesus Christ, was faultless and flawless and blemish-free in His character and His conduct. Oh, He fulfilled the law. He honored the law, and in doing so, He obtained a righteousness for those who themselves did not possess a righteousness by which God would be pleased. But you know, that's not only what He did, and you know that. He went to the cross to suffer, to bleed, and to die, to give Himself as a sacrifice for sin. You see, the broken law has already pronounced a sentence of eternal death upon all sinners, and yet He took the punishment. He was condemned that I might be acquitted. He stood in my guilty room instead. By the shedding of His blood, He paid the debt that my sin incurred to the justice of God. And arising again the third day, He gave evidence that what He had done was sufficient and accepted by the Father. Oh, this is what He did so that sinners might be saved from the condemnation and the corruption of their sin. There is nothing, sinner, that you can do or nothing that needs to be done by you that can merit salvation, for Christ has done it all. You're to look to Christ this evening that you might be able to say with others, the words there of verse 24, In the Lord I have righteousness and strength. Sinner, you are devoid of a righteousness that will please God. Now, you might be a good neighbor as far as maybe this world is concerned. And you mightn't be in the things of the world and getting up to all the vice and iniquity of the day. But in God's sight, you're devoid of a righteousness with which he is pleased. Now the Hebrew word for look here, look unto me, as the Lord says, it's an interesting word. It means to turn to face. And what does that imply? It implies that the back of the sinner is to God. That's what that implies, and that's a posture of disrespect and rejection. And the Lord charged His ancient people, Israel, through the prophet Jeremiah, as those who had turned their back to God and not their face. I wonder, is that a description of you this evening? You've turned your back on God. You've turned your back on the things of God. You've turned your face towards the things of this world. Imagine turning your back on God. The disrespect. The rejection, the dishonor, and yet that's what sinners do week by week as they're brought face to face with Jesus Christ in the gospel. They turn their back to Him. They shun Him. They disrespect Him. Sinner, look away from the world. Look away from your best efforts. Look away from your rites and your rituals. Look away to the Redeemer. As Henry Jackson wrote, 
if you from sin are longing to be free. Look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem you died on Calvary. Look to the Lamb of God. If you could only get a true sight by the Spirit of God, of the glory and the wonder of the cross, it would affect your heart. You would be saved. You're to take the words of that hymn that we've already sung tonight. Make them your own. Give me a sight, O Savior, of thy wondrous love to me, of the love that brought thee down to earth and died to die on Calvary. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed something like that? Lord, help me see. Help me see. Give me a sight of the Savior. Make it real to me. All I've heard through my life, all the intellect and all the knowledge and all the facts that I've built up, oh, make it real to me. Give me a sight that there he was hanging and bleeding and dying for me. Oh, when that happens, you'll see your interest in him and his interest in you and your heart will be melted and you will trust in what he has done for the salvation of your soul. So in this verse, there is the salvation mentioned and the sight mentioned. But finally tonight, and briefly, the scope that's mentioned. Verse says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. God's wonderful salvation, this deliverance, this rescue, this preservation from sin, it's not just for the Jew. It never was solely to be intended for the Jew, but also the Gentile. It's not just for one section of the community or a particular group of people, but God's salvation is extended to all types of sinners in all parts of this earth. This could not be any more clear from our text. All men stand in need of salvation. And God freely offers salvation to all who will look to Him. And since this is the Lord's intention, I as a preacher, I can preach the free offer of the gospel. I can call on the whosoever will to come. This is God speaking. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Don't forget this little place in Northern Ireland. It's the ends of the earth to someone on the far side of this world. We often think we're the center of the world, don't we? But we are the ends of the world to someone else. And here the gospel is freely offered tonight to you, sinner. This is God speaking to you. Look unto me. Look with expectancy, with faith, to receive what you need to be saved. Here we have the mandate for missionary endeavor. How can all the ends of the earth look to Christ if they have never heard of Jesus Christ? We're told in the book of Revelation that from every kindred and tongue and people and nation, God will save a people. They will surround His throne and they will sing the praises of the Lamb, the one who hath washed them from their sin in His own blood. Oh, that you would catch a glimpse in your soul tonight of the one who hung upon the tree. And that while you gaze upon that spectacle of woe and misery, that you would see his great love for sinners. 
and that the eyes of your understanding would be opened, that you'd see for the first time in your life the beauty of Christ, and that you would be able to declare, Yea, He is. Oh, yes, that bleeding, dying form of one, yet He is altogether lovely. See, all who are in heaven have looked to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I wonder, will you look to Christ by faith tonight? You know, a little child can look in a sense. A teenager can look in a sense. An older individual can look in a sense. A senior can look. And all who look shall be saved. We can read this verse like this in the Hebrew. Look unto me, and ye shall be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. You know, many people can think of a verse, as I close, that is instrumental in their salvation. I wonder, can you? Can you think of a Bible text? Think back to a time when the Word of God at both the same time convicted and comforted you, and you were saved. I know my text was Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. I know John Calvin's was John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Isaiah 45, 22 was Charles Spurgeon's text. On Sunday morning, Spurgeon was prevented from attending his own church because of a snowstorm and was turned aside into a little primitive Methodist chapel. There was a young man who was preaching, a simple, not well-educated shoemaker, and he gave out his text as Isaiah 45, 22. Spurgeon, he vividly recalls what the preacher said to him in the middle of his message as he laid his eyes upon him. I quote, Young man, you look very miserable. And you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death, if you don't obey my text. But if, if you do obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, Young man, Look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. Spurgeon recounts, I, once, I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. I had been waiting to do 50 things. And I think there's people in this congregation and you're overcomplicating the gospel. And you're laying conditions upon yourself that the Word of God does not place upon you. And Spurgeon said, I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. Sinner, there's life for a look at the crucified one. There's life, eternal life, at this moment 
for thee. Then look, sinner, look unto him and be saved, unto him who was nailed to the tree. You need to be saved. The corruption of your sin, the condemnation of your sin. And the only way you can be saved is if you look alone to Jesus Christ. Will you do that? Or will you turn your back once again on Christ? Remember what the word look means? It means to turn to face. And know that tonight you might gaze upon the face of Jesus Christ and receive from him what you need for the salvation of your soul. He offers it freely, freely. Look to him tonight. May the Lord bless his word. And let's just bow our heads, still ourselves before the Lord. And once again, I make myself available as God's servant. Don't overcomplicate it, sinner. We're told here, look unto me, the Lord's speaking, and be ye saved. And I trust that God will give you grace to do that tonight. O blessed Father and loving God, we pray that the Holy Spirit will come and do the work, that He would take the veil that is upon the mind and the heart, remove it, O God, that sinners might see Jesus Christ in all His glory and all His beauty. We pray, O God, that Thou would apply the Word, O God, that Thou would speak very powerfully and definitely, and that sinners would avail of the opportunity for further counsel. Lord, give them courage. Lord, we heard this morning that the gifts of God without repentance, those gifts of faith and repentance that sinners need, O oh God, we pray, will be bestowed. We thank Thee for Christ. We thank Thee that the Christ of the new is the Lord of the old. And we rejoice that salvation is of the Lord. And we ask that Thou would do Thy work. And so, Lord, we pray that Thou would part us now with Thy blessing. I ask that the love of the Lord Jesus and, Lord, the fear of God and the fellowship of the Spirit would be upon each one of Your children. And, oh, God, would take us to our homes in safety and watch over us until we meet again. And if we meet not here, may we all meet at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Remember our children in the meeting tonight. We think very especially of them, and we pray, O oh God, that they would obey the simple exhortation and look savingly to the Lord Jesus. Hear our prayer, glorify thy Son, for this I ask in his precious and his worthy name. Amen.